All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Hello again, and welcome to Primitive Screwheads Talk Horror Movies. I'm Screwhead Dan. And I'm Andrew. And we are here once again to dissect, dismember, and discuss another horror movie. We are two friends who met teaching in South Korea and bonded over our love of horror movies, and we like to meet every so often to discuss what's going on in the horror world. So, Andrew, how's uh, how's how's New England? How's how's the Northeast? I hear it's cold. It's it's pretty cold. It's pretty I good there. You know, cold. things are things are nice. Things are you know good. But we're on our we're on our school vacation right now. Oh, in, okay. Uh, this part we're on a february vacation uh i somehow ended up signing up to work at my girlfriend's company where i am currently disassembling and reassembling shelving units for my vacation which is not my plan but like you know it's an experience hey listen it's a living just like those dinosaurs in the flintstone said it's a living exactly mm-hmm. yeah i um am mostly doing remote go live support for a whole bunch of different things and last night i was violent told to take the um, night shift so basically my entire experience last week was i stayed up from 11 p.m to 7 a.m at my computer waiting for a call to come on in and then assisting the nurse or doctor or whoever it was with that call and fixing their problem i had Three calls coming through the entire night, uh, the entire week, and I spent the rest of the time playing video games. So I sent a text to my mom and I said, hey mom, guess what? I just got paid to stay up all night to play video games, so suck it. She never knew. She never knew. She never knew. She was just like, oh, Dan. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Kathy. Kathy. Jesus Christ, Kathy. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, today's... uh, movie selection is going to be the 2009 film Jennifer's Body and I selected this one and the reason for that is it's one of those movies I remember seeing a lot of advertisements for I remember there being a lot of buzz about it especially since this is written by Diablo Cody who was kind of hot shit at this point in time I mean let's go back to 2009 it's I started college then yeah, I was midway through college. Uh, Orphan was out. Community came out in that year. Um, Toy Story just 3 just started. come out. Lovely Bones was on here, too. That that was a big deal because everyone was just like, oh, Peter Jackson, first thing. And then it just was like, Ugh. I never actually but, saw that. Is that good? Uh, I did not see that either, but I heard it was terrible. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, oh yeah, Avatar. This was the year of Avatar. This was also the year um, Transformers 3 or 2, one of the two, I don't know. 2 came on out during this time and everyone was just like... Um, But yeah, this was, I I don't know, like looking back on this year, it was a very millennial sort of time, I guess you could say. And a lot of these stereotypes that embody millennials i remember doing at this point i remember going and seeing in the wild at this point and especially a big part of that culture was megan fox who Mm -hmm. has kind of dropped off since then but at this point in time she had been starring in the transformer movies and she was a certified sex symbol for a lot of the entertainment pop culture zeitgeist 
And this movie came on out, Jennifer's Body, again, written by Diablo Cody, who was fresh off of Juno. She was really, really popular at this moment, and people were excited to see what uh, she had to do. And uh, do you know what happened to this movie when it came out? I'm pretty sure it was completely panned, wasn't it? Oh, God, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it completely panned. Uh, Reviewers hated it. I remember Roger Ebert left a really, really scathing view. And what more to the advertising campaign like did not fit this tones movie at all or movie's tone at all they focused specifically on megan fox's sex appeal because i'm sure there was a bunch of big corporate executives in there thinking no sex sells blah 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 blah, blah. Mm-hmm. but people saw this trailer people saw the poster which is you know megan fox in a mini skirt and she's got her legs hiked up and everything like that and they're just like okay so this is just going to be a hot girl killer movie and it's more than that definitely mm-hmm. um but yeah this this is a very interesting movie just to kind of see because it did take me back to that 2009 era it especially the dialogue it took me back to a lot of the stuff i experienced during college and the world at that time so uh yeah what what did you uh go into this movie kind of thinking well so i've already seen it like i uh-huh. i was i was there during that time like you know like back yeah back when june come out you know uh i, I really i had loved uh juno and i thought that was a great movie and you know i was i was you know i was one of those young impressionable teens who i guess was 18 at that point in time uh you know who found megan fox attractive but also really liked horror movies i think honestly that was my more of my appeal to that mm-hmm. like i feel like i kind of knew what the movie was about at that time uh i feel like i don't know at like yeah i guess man fox was nice looking but like that wasn't really like my my main jam about that i was more interested in like a, a campy horror movie that that was going to be um so I, don't know, I was i was excited to watch it again um i don't know if you ever heard of the podcast uh what are they called faculty of horror Mm-hmm. Plug to them because I, have uh, I haven't I hadn't seen this movie since I first saw it uh, back in 2009. I think pretty sure I saw it in theaters, um, and I just remember cleaning like scraping paint off of my sister's kitchen and listening to their podcast like four years ago, and they had an episode on Jennifer's body and thinking to myself that I really need to watch it again because they did a really good job kind of convincing me that there was more to it than I remember it there being when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other thing that stood out to me and it stood out to me again this time is that that fucking actor who is Quentin in the um, remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. And that guy can just, like, no offense to him, like, as a person, but be- he will always be Quentin from Nightmare on Elm Street to me, and I'll always want him to die. Who and, is and it? He, which, which character was the, he? The emo song? kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, literally, like, I could not stand it. Anytime he's on screen, just gave me, like, flashbacks, that terrible fucking movie. Um, <laughs> and I just couldn't stand it. But it was, like, it was at that same era, because that movie also came out when I was in college, so I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. Apparently that yeah. kid had a career for, like, five minutes. Yeah, this, I mean, on the internet side, guys, the, um, this movie, Jennifer's Body, has kind of cropped up in recent years as a little bit more of a cult classic, and people are really coming out of the woodwork to defend it a little bit more than they did in 2009, especially in the wake of the we- Me Too movements, because mm-hmm. um, this is a little, a lot more feminist than I think the trailers and poster and marketing for this movie kind of led it on to be. And people are starting to realize that more and more. I mean, Vox has this 
whole big article about how Jennifer's Body is the perfect feminist horror movie for 2020 and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I, I see it definitely. There's a little bit more depth to it than I figured. Yeah, like, well, honestly, because I, I, I tried to do a little research about that, too. Uh, and I was surprised by it. It's like, honestly, I, I felt that a lot of that those Vox articles in them weren't really as deep as I would have liked them to be in terms of that discussion about feminism and kind of the film. I mm-hmm. think a lot of what comes out of kind of the modern interpretation of it is just that it's not as bad as everybody thought it was. And we were definitely kind of blinded by the Michael Bay criticism because this was right after um, she'd gone on publicly talking about how uh, Michael Bay was basically Hitler and all this stuff. And everyone was kind of like, yeah. oh, well, she's just being full of herself. And, blah, 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 blah. and when, you know, in reality, he was he is has been proven to be a dick. Um, yeah. And I wanted to talk about that, too. Like, just there is no understating just how much she was villainized during this time. I mean, people, she spoke out against Michael Bay, who you were absolutely right. He was an absolute dick. And then people came on out and started calling her names, you know, very, very bad stuff. And she was treated very unfairly, in my opinion, during this time. Mm-hmm. Well, especially because, like, you know, if you think about this movie almost as a reaction to Michael Bay, like, if you ever, like, I don't know, I was obsessed with these movies when they first came out, the Transformers movies, and I had, mm-hmm. like, the Blu-ray edition of it. Blair didn't come out at that time, I don't think. Never mind, I had some weird DVD version of it. But there's a, I listened to the commentary, and literally as soon as she comes on screen, he just, like, talks about how hot she is and how great it is to have her. Mm-hmm. As, and I saw this girl, and I thought she's so hot. And it was just so really, like, creepy to listen to him talk about uh, kind of his perception of her and why she's in the film and why she make like, you know, why she's a great actress and basically just being king because she has a huge ass and stuff. It, it was, mm-hmm. like, it was really awkward to listen to that and be like, oh, God. Like, yeah. <laughs> this grown-ass man <laughs> is talking about this girl. Yeah, definitely. And that was the perception. And she really didn't have any sort of chance to shine at that point because, you know, the public had already kind of made uh, up their minds in terms of what she was going to be. And, you know, it is... This movie is... She is the carrying of this movie. She is the star of this movie. I mean, this movie is basically... Rides so much on her shoulders... Um, and I think she does a decent job of it. No, I think but, I think honestly, I think her and um, my mind is killing me about her name. Amanda Seyfried. Amanda Seyfried. I think they do a great yeah. job. I think like everybody else does a fucking terrible job, <laughs> but I think the two of them do a great job. And like I think this movie is only good because of the two of them. Like literally every other character in this movie like is forgettable and terrible. Like mm-hmm. aside from Quinn, who's not forgettable, yeah. but he's he, I'm scarred, and that's why I can't forget him. Uh, but like literally every other character, even fucking young Neil. Uh, from Scott Pilgrim in this, uh, her her boyfriend is like just like completely forgettable and like just a fucking annoying character. Yeah. Um, but no, I think I think like, well, I guess Adam Brody's in this. I love Adam Brody; he's great. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. OC fame. But um, yeah, I agree. Like I think yeah. I think without without these two, uh, they this movie would be nothing. Aside from the fact that they are both the main principal actresses, mm-hmm. like I think the movie would not work as well with other character with other actors. Yeah, and this is also the other time, too, because before I was, when I was doing research on this movie, I thought to my, well, I listened to a couple other podcasts about it, and one of them was uh, Still Buffering, um, which is three sisters that kind of get together and discuss media stuff, and only one of them is really a horror movie fan, the other two not so much, but it was very interesting just hearing their perspective on this from a female's perspective, because this really is 
a very female-centric movie. I mean, obviously, men can enjoy it too, but there's a lot of subtext. There's a lot of experiences that I understand I miss because I grew up with a penis. And actually, there's a quote by Diablo Cody um, that I wrote in my notes here. Uh, yeah, uh, Diablo Cody, the writer for this movie, specifically said, this movie is a commentary on girl-on-girl hatred, mm. um, which... I've never experienced personally and I never will, but that's something that's, uh, I just like to put forward. And it was just very interesting hearing that perspective. Mm. So, yeah. So anyway, Andrew, what's this movie about? Yeah. So, uh, you know, as one might assume for the trailers, for those who don't know, uh, basically it's about a young girl named Needy, um, and she is kind of best friends, with the cheerleader, the popular kid in school. Um, and one night, how cool go, is Needy? How cool is Needy? How cool is Needy? Needy's pretty cool. Needy's not cool. Wow, Needy's rude. Rude. <laughs> All right, Needy's cool. Needy's She's lame. Boys, well, I, don't pay attention to her. I like it because I, I think I think she she is kind of lame in that kind of like a nineties like era lame. But mm-hmm. like I feel like the movie doesn't stress like nobody calls her lame. Nobody's rude to her. Nobody is like, oh hey nerd. Aside from the girl mm-hmm. who's like, oh you're lesbian gay, which I've never heard in my life. Um, but like aside from that, like I feel like there, there's no real criticism of her. I, I like that because I think that they could have easily been like, let's shove down your throat how how like, nerdy she is. Mm-hmm. When in reality, she's more just like your average teen who's vicarious living through her friend Jennifer, who is kind of that more popular girl. Yeah. Who, who again? Like, actually, the thing I find interesting is I don't think she actually is that popular. And I, sorry, I keep going off the, this. The, I'll That's talk fine. talk about that later. But yeah, so basically, she's friends with Jennifer. Um, they go out to a bar one night to listen to the sweet band, uh, starring Adam Brody. And uh, basically, the brand the bar burns down, and her friend Jennifer goes off to with these uh, boys in the band. And when she's gone, something happens to her, and she begins killing the boys of their school. Mm-hmm. And it, it's up to Needy to stop her. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, I you know definitely kind of get that feeling as well. I mean, Jennifer's popular. Boys pay a lot of attention to her because she's hot. But I never got the sense that she was... It, this movie was not about, you know, the popular friends is kind of cast the nerdy friend by the wayside. So, you know, Jennifer isn't 100% popular. She doesn't fully fit into that stereotype. But Needy doesn't... 100% fit into the stereotype of the nerdy girl as well, mm-hmm. uh, which I did really like. There was a little bit more depth to that point right there. Yeah. Yep. So do you want do you want to, like, do you want to take a minute to talk about the character like or did you want to go into the plot more or what were you feeling? I mean, that's pretty much it. It's, you what? know, Megan Fox gets I mean, in terms of a base surface level, oh, okay. right? Get off my get off my shit. But <laughs> No. No, um, and the surface level, that's definitely what's going on here. We have Megan Fox, something happens to her, she spends the rest of the movie basically possessed, killing all of these different boys, mm-hmm. and it, she uses her feminine wills and seduct powers of abduction to make that happen. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What'd you think of Jennifer's body? So I enjoyed it. Honestly, like, I... I found myself enjoying it a lot more than I did ever in the past watching it and just kind of been like, eh, you know, whatevs. Uh-huh. But I think I also watched it back then as, like, somebody who at the time was just consuming copious amounts of horror films. And, you know, nowadays I don't <laughs> have as much time, um, so I, I like to watch them when I can. Uh, but I think back then I just kind of wrote it off as, you know, just another film. Um, but I, I thought, like, it, to me it felt very like, faculty-esque. It felt very 90s, uh, very early 2000s to me in terms of, like, the the kind of the humor that was going on with it. And I guess that'll kind of tie in with Juno. Um and just kind of the storytelling and the type of horror that was done, it wasn't super over-the-top bloody. Even the unrated version, which I watched, like wasn't very bloody at all. Um, and I think that's kind of nice. It was kind of more just building the story and the characters. 
Yeah. How about yourself? I mean, I, I think you really nailed it on the head in terms of what it felt like for me as well. And, and the biggest thing that kind of stuck out to me is just it was a time capsule mm. to me. Like I, I started watching it and I watched it for about 20 minutes and I just like was transported back to my college days. It's, it's a very much a product of its era. And I think the biggest reason why is the dialogue and the writing in general. Like this is very unique dialogue and sometimes it hits sometimes it most definitely does not yeah so well and i thought that was interesting because i thought juno's dialogue i've heard people, like people criticize juno's dialogue and i always kind of thought it worked I, I guess like it was kind of like not people i knew talked that way but it was believable enough the way they talked but then i felt like most of the time it was just jennifer who kind of threw out these weird phrases which were like like kind of hippish i suppose but I, I don't think there ever were real phrases that existed and they were like trying to be and it wasn't mm-hmm. like in juno where everybody used them it was just jennifer and i think it was kind of jarring as a result mm-hmm. i don't think it worked the dialogue worked i think the same dialogue could have been said in juno versus this film and this film was just so even though it's like a you know a killer girl movie it's it felt more realistic in terms of the tone of the series and the way people acted while i felt like uh, Juno felt like something like more like a Wes Anderson film to a degree, so that dialogue fit that better there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like there, there were points in this movie where you know Jennifer would say something, and I'd be like, "Oh, that was a pretty good zinger." And then there were also times when it was either extremely dated or just like trying too hard. Like it was trying its best to be a catchphrase. It was trying to be a trendsetter at that exactly. point. Exactly. I, I, I'm looking at the quotes on IMDb right now because I don't have anything written in my personal notes, but one of them was, uh, Jennifer says, you're lime green jello and you can't even admit it to yourself. Like, what, what, is, what does that mean? Like, I think that's, I think that's like the, your basic, that's, that's like today's your basic, yeah. but also like, fuck you guys, lime green jello is great and then the basic one, <laughs> jello is definitely fucking orange. Like, who the fuck is, like, like lime, no, it's always fucking orange and every fucking thing, they always get orange or red jello. Lime green jello mm-hmm. is, is a treat. Fuck you guys. <laughs> Yeah, and if it was just like kind of like a one-off back and forth, but it's just a constant barrage of that type of dialogue where it's just like they throw a reference at you and then you have to take a second to process what they really, really mean, translate from Diablo, Co- Diablo Cody speak to, you know, human speak and figure out what's going on there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, so overall, all thoughts on Jennifer's body, you said you liked it? Yeah, like I, I enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. turn it down. Yeah. I, um... Yeah, I think I'm fine. I'm kind of on the same boat as well. It was definitely entertaining to watch. Um, I just, like, besides the time capsule portion of being transported back to 2009, there were a lot of moments in this movie where I just thought to myself, is this really for me? Hmm. Like, it's a slasher movie. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the unique perspective it brought. And there were just some genuinely laugh-out-loud funny moments as well. But the entire time it was I was going through, I just thought to myself, there, there's, there's subtext I'm missing based on my own personal experiences. There's, you know, stuff going on. So, No, I, I get you. Like, yeah. I, I guess that, like, I guess kind of, hmm, I don't know when we should address this. So this is kind of an idea I was thinking about. Um, so first off, I know that, like, you know, again, this movie has kind of had a revival as a feminist film. Um, and I think that it does, like you said, it deals with this idea and kind of what Diablo Cody kind of brought up is this idea of, like, you know, the the kind of female villain who, uh, in like a, you know, kind of does things that, you know, boys don't really experience that kind of, like, like she kind of talked about in one of them, like the, the taking, you know, her trying to basically competing with Needy and trying to be the alpha to Needy. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and that's in that you know like, again i don't really have experience with um and, and, I, and apparently a lot of people uh or uh, women kind of jive with that idea of that kind of being the villainous within um jennifer but one thing i was kind of thinking is like i had always kind of thought the horror genre in terms of different genres of film was to a degree more feminist than others just because yeah, the final girl trope but then i was kind of thinking about that and i was kind of thinking like is the final girl a feminist icon like it is is the final girl feminist or is it because not always but generally we kind of think of like how like well, i guess how would you define the final girl what makes the final girl to you so the final girl is someone who survives at the end of the movie and fights with the antagonist and uh i, I would say the character the, the defining characteristic is the fact that she's a survivor and well, like what are the what are the other like what are the, what are the rules what are the scream rules of the final girl Mm, I see what you're getting at. Yeah. Um, she's usually a virgin. That's another thing, too. Yeah. She's usually a little bit more pure. She doesn't smoke. She doesn't drink. All of the 80s scare tactic stuff. Ah. And, and, I, and I feel like and that, that's kind of what made me wonder. Like, yeah, like a, oftentimes the women are the ones who are who survive the longest in these final girl, in these final girl films. But, yeah, like they, they have to be pure. And anybody who is not is brutally murdered like I, I feel like often in in these films like in friday 13th and stuff the girls get some of the worst deaths possible like yeah you know a guy gets an axe in the head or something like that but girls get like their eyes shot out with a harpoon or like strangled through a bed or like through a wall or like pulled through a toilet like there's a lot of like i feel like female murder in these films is often just as like you know visually appealing as the nude scenes to a degree in the sense of like what the what they're going for Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of like it kind of made me think about that. I'm like, yeah, like I always kind of thought of the final girl as a feminist thing, or, you know, a, a progression towards that, at least. So I was kind of wondering, mm-hmm. like, is it or is it a reinforcement of gender norms to a degree? And as a result, I was saying, like, yeah, you deserve to live if you are perfect and if you do these things. And mm-hmm. I guess on the other hand, the guy doesn't usually end up living either. Um, but it, it's I guess it kind of like it's, it's part of the reason again why I always kind of viewed like Ripley from Aliens as a very, um, I guess, appropriate f- like a, a more of a feminist icon than I would say like Laurie Strode from Halloween to a degree. And not that Laurie Strode isn't. I think that actually Laurie Strode in the original uh, Halloween is great. But like I always felt like Ripley was somebody who isn't perfect and like is swearing all the time and drinking all the time and like you know isn't. We don't ever get this idea that she's this perfect character. We don't get the idea that she's the the hero until like towards the end of the movie really. Um, and I always kind of appreciated that as a character because I felt like a real person. And I think that's kind of where Needy falls in the line of two, where Needy is kind of a real person who mm. does have sex, does kind of, you know, tell her friend to go fuck off at times, like, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, chooses like that sex is, in her own terms, which I think yeah, is... Yeah, there is a sex scene in this movie, and I think it's very tastefully done. Like, mm. it feels very normal, honestly, and I, I really, really like that. So... Yeah, so. uh, yeah, and I, I definitely think you're onto something there because you know, I've been part of so many internet discussions where they're just like, well, what's the badass female character, or what is... horror has so many badass female role models and you know Ripley is definitely one that is I don't know I'm just kind of repeating the same things you are yeah no I definitely think you're onto something there I was thinking about like Heather Langenkamp um, Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street again is is perfectly pure and Mm -hmm. I always forget Chris I think is is that Chris's name from the first Friday the 13th I think I she's know, the nice one. Uh, and like, like, I feel like a lot of those tropes that is that person is super nice. Um, mm-hmm. And even like, uh, uh, I was listening to podcasts a little while ago. Actually, they're talking about the movie Valentine and how the, the girl who survives the final girl is the girl who is nice to the boy back mm-hmm. in the day, uh, and the guy is obsessed with her and stuff. And like, again, it's that same idea. Like, the final girl is always this kind of this really nice person. 
uh, and couldn't be a flawed character who survives for because they're smart or something or because you know they have you know they want to take a risk generally regardless of what like a lot of times even that that risk taking female character it usually dies almost again as kind of like a pushback against that like again like push into that norm of kind of what the feminine ideal is i suppose mm-hmm. um, so that, that was interesting yeah definitely um so another thing dabby Clody said this movie was about was the death of innocence and uh what are your thoughts on that yeah no i i, I think i i heard that like and i think and i think it goes beyond just simply uh you know death of innocence in terms of like that the term we use in film of, of like or narrative stories of you know maturing as an adult because I think again I think Needy kind of survives that already, uh, but in terms of the sense that like I thought it was interesting that none of the boys that she killed were particularly bad. I think mm-hmm. I think that Chip, aside from a terrible fucking name, um, <laughs> and being a bit of a dick, like he was he, he was a, there were times with him and Needy in the beginning where I kind of really didn't like him the way he kind of approached her and how angry he like not angry but frustrated he was with uh, her relationship with Jennifer. Um, I kind of thought he was kind of a dick. He kind of got better and then got worse again. Uh, but I think, yeah, a lot of times, uh, not only... Was... I, I kind of just looked at him as honestly just a teenager. Sorry for, like, talking over you, but I for Chip, I, I really felt like he was just more of a teenager. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he was a bit of a dick, but all of us were at that point in time. That's like, true. I felt he was a very... I don't want to say realistically written character, because it's still a Diablo Cody film, but it, it I, there was a lot of elements of him I related to. I, I guess I'd, I didn't buy him, him and Amanda Seyfried's chemistry at all. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel realistic, and he kind of like makes fun of her at one point, where she's like, yeah. "Oh, like he makes like he makes a Phil Collins comment," and she's like, "Who's that?" And it kind of almost felt like that kind of gatekeeping of like, you know, who Phil Collins is God, like, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Wow, you're a dick, man!" Like, I don't know, he 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 rubbed me the wrong way. I kind of I I felt like a emo kid again, despite being Quentin, uh, and a ban on my existence. I thought that he was a better character than her, and even freaking um the the jock she kills is like a better character like i feel like you know he's lamenting the loss of his friend and he yeah. gets awkwardly persuaded by jennifer to have sex as her his friend's dying wish but even then you can tell he's not feeling it because he's lamenting his friend mm-hmm. like it might have actually the one scene in a movie where somebody comes on to somebody and is like let's do it for this dead friend and the guy's like uh <laughs> i actually would only be doing it for the dead friend like i was kind of actually <laughs> getting vibes from him that like maybe mm-hmm. that wasn't what he was into to a degree yep Definitely. But, like, yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I took innocence from the sense of, like, you know, Needy coming out of her show and Jennifer's lost innocence as well, mm-hmm. as, including her victims. But, yeah, but what do you think? How do you take it? Yeah, no, definitely in terms of that. And it, I guess, too, they kind of sometimes they think of it as just not really a bad thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, their, their innocence in the small town where people die and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, going back to that sex scene with uh, Amanda Seyfried and Chip and. I, I really did like that scene. I felt it was very well juxtaposed with Jennifer's kill at that time. But again, it was a very normal kind of losing her virginity sort of thing, aside from the weird premonition she got later on in the film. But uh, hmm. yeah. I, was there something going on with that premonition? Because it happened multiple times and I never quite got it. Like They never really explain it. Yeah, I, I, it, I assumed it was the hickey that she gave her that kind of linked to them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's like, kind of what they were implying that that somehow she has some sort of control over Jennifer as well. I, she has some sort of connection to Jennifer, and it could have been the hickey, could have been because they are so close at the beginning of the movie, that sort of thing. Mm. But uh, yeah. Um, also, too, you're just speaking of closeness as well, I thought it was interesting the way they had those shades of 
bisexuality mm. between Jennifer and Neely at that point. And it was very evident, even at the very, very beginning of the film, when they're at the uh, concerts and, you know, they're holding hands and Neely, you know, gets a little butterflies in her stomach sort of feeling. Mm. And they kind of touch on that. Um, no, I, t- I, t- I took it as very much as, like, I, I honestly, I kind of felt thought it went both ways in a sense of, like, I don't know. So there are times, I guess, kind of to hop in Jennifer's character in the same manner. I thought there were times where Jennifer's character was performative in the sense that, you know, they're in this small town and Jennifer is hot chick to a degree at her school. But also I think that she's, you know, it's performative. Mm-hmm. Like she She's acting this way and pursuing this person performatively for like, you know, it's what people expect of her. They expect her to be this hot chick cheerleader. And I, I do kind of feel like part of the story is that there may have been something repressed going on as a result of like, you know, them trying to live up to the standards that were made for them like again i think that lack of chemistry between her and chip versus the chemistry between her and jennifer was stood out to me a lot and i think that that Mm -hmm. was again this idea like and i really felt they pushed a very much a shades of gray sort of situation which is you know what sexuality is it's not black or white it's very very shades and i i did like the subtlety in that Mm -hmm. except for the kiss scene i didn't particularly enjoy that you didn't like the the subtlety you didn't like didn't like it as like a plot device like i i I don't and again this is something i'm just completely missing experiences and you know what that feels like not kissing a girl but just you know having lesbian thoughts um i just i felt it was a little bit too much for what they were trying to go for so I, I took that think? as like as at that point Jennifer you know had fed, and she is a succubus is what is the way I assume the story is going. So I kind of thought that was like needy giving into the succubus nature that Jennifer is exuding. Because mm-hmm. like again, I, I feel like to a degree Jennifer and needy both were interested in that. And I think that's part of like I, I don't I, this may be my misinterpretation in terms of um, the goal to make it this kind of like a look inside the kind of interactions between women that I, that you know I'm not part of in terms of that like stealing the boyfriend kind of thing but i kind mm-hmm. of took that the way i read that was kind of partly of these are the people that needy likes not not like i'm taking them from her in that regard but i'm taking them away because i don't want that distraction from needy if or for, for you know from me to needy i kind of took that as jennifer was always kind of needy was more wasn't just keeping her she wasn't just keeping needy alive because she was her friend she was doing it because for other reasons and i kind of thought that for jennifer it made a lot of sense to me and that you know, Needy also felt that way, but it was then kind of amplified by her kind of succubus n- new nature, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if, I don't know, I didn't, I think, I feel like it felt awkward too, but I think to me it was, again, it's that kind of like, I think sexuality and, and horror and kind of the gore and stuff often tie together. And I think that it's that made people uncomfortable in the same, and like, I think that it was supposed to in the same way that gore seemed to make you uncomfortable in the sense that like, you, you knew something was going on to a degree. Yeah, like, it, and I guess maybe I'm just kind of getting cross-reference with the trailers, too, who included that kiss in there because it's just like, hey, hot lesbian action, buy tickets. But, yeah. It, it was it was definitely a scene that I felt could have been more uncomfortable, I guess. Yeah. And, mm. and I, I just said to blank claim, we're not saying that two girls kissing is uncomfortable, but more the tension, oh, no. the tension that the film was kind of going for at that moment. I think was to me it felt very similar to a horror movie kind of like you know the the what like it's that tension of what's going to happen essentially yeah the like, aim for it was to be uncomfortable not because it's you know homosexuality but because Jennifer's possessed by a demon and she is going around killing people and yeah. he's in danger and that sort of thing so. yeah, exactly yeah uh-huh. 
I guess kind of in, in that matter while we're here, like, what do you think about Jennifer Nidia's characters? I, would, it would, it, like I said, it's, or like you said, honestly, without those two and without, you know, Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried, who both did excellent jobs in this movie, I really felt their chemistry was believable. Um, I, I like them as friends. I like the dynamic the two of them had together. Everyone else in the movie was kind of just one note, but they are the core of this film. Ultimately, it's about a girl who discovers that her best friend is possessed by a demon, and they are trying to navigate it. Um, and of course, there's some additional subtext in there in terms of you know, uh, separate personalities in high school and attracting different attention from different people and all that good stuff and also small-town politics and racism and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I felt their dynamic was very good. I thought they both pulled it off very well. What about you? No, I felt the same way. Like, I I found myself I know, sympathizing a lot with Jennifer in the film. Like, did you find yourself like I thought Jennifer as a villain was really interesting. Like, not a villain, a guy, almost like a tragic villain. It mm-hmm. was very interesting. Like, again, like I said before, like I couldn't tell a lot of times like if she was faking being the kind of airhead character that she played at times, or like you know the kind of just after sex character that she kind of came off as at first, or if there's more going on behind that. And to me, it always kind of felt like there was something else there. I just felt kind of like she felt too direct and like the way that her, her affect would change. Like when she's talking with low shoulder, it almost felt like she was playing them as much as they were playing her. Um, but then you kind of saw that, like that facade kind of drop away when she realized what's happening to her, uh, in low shoulder, like van. when she's like, are you guys rapists? Like what's going on? Like, Oh, and she's like, you know, she's like, I'm a virgin not to like, you know, she doesn't want, she kind of realizes what's going on that she's in a dangerous situation. She tries to get out of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I just felt a lot for her character. And then when she became, that was a very uncomfortable scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, like, well, I, honestly, I really didn't like, like I, I get they're making them douches, but I kind of thought the Jenny, I got your number thing before they stabbed yeah, her. Like to me, just... just felt really fucking cruel. And like, uh-huh. ooh, it, it destroyed me. <laughs> like, I, like, so, I, so I, I, I want to pause and say that scene right there. Cause it's yeah. Spoiler alert, I guess, for one of the reveals at the end of the movie. Um, so if you don't want to hear that, you can stop that right now. Three, two, one. Yeah, so near the end of the movie, we find out that the reason why Jennifer's going around killing all these people is because the band she saw at the very beginning of the movie um, basically sacrificed her to the devil as a um, way to get them popular. Um, so it was kind of a blood-packed murder sacrifice that sort of thing and it's this very uncomfortable scene where she goes into their van you know just to hang out with them and they basically kidnap her tie her to a rock and then stab her over and over again and i just i really didn't like that jenny joke either Mm. because it's i i I get it's diablo cody's writing style i get that this movie is trying to be somewhat of a horror comedy but it just that joke was not well timed. No, I I completely agree. It was, ugh, I don't know. Yeah, it, it made me uneasy. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, that was a really good scene. Other than that, I mean, they did they did a great job with the tension. They did a great job building it up, and then that fucking Jenny joke comes on, and it's just like, all right, dudes. Mm-hmm. Well, especially because like, it, it go it, it's weird too because it plays off that comment and like, hey, maybe we'll write a song about you as like you know our groupie. Um, and you know that'll be that'll be cool. And then he goes into that, and it was kind of weird. Cause I'm like, is he writing a song about her right now? I'm like, nope, he's just <laughs> singing that song. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the way it is. I wonder how much they paid for the rights to that. <laughs> so I got a question for you. Yeah. And this is something I actually heard from the Still Buffering podcast, which is a pretty good podcast. It's taught me a lot about uh, um, just things. But so one of the things they mentioned was that this is kind of being heralded as a feminist horror film at this point. And the reason for that is it's because, you know, a female is doing all of the killing and it's kind of. The argument is it's powerful because the female is the murderer now and everyone's running away from her. Do you buy that? That that's why it's a feminist film? Yeah. No. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think I, I think that, that that's like a weird thing to say that that's feminist. Yeah. Like and there, I agree with that too. Go ahead. I said there'd have to be more to this story. Like I feel like like I I guess in, in, in the raw sense of feminism as e- equality, and again, like as, as two white cisgender men, like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't much to say on that, but like, it I, I doesn't seem like what, what equality are you looking for there? Just the ability to kill people in films. Cause I think that there are better versions of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I'm actually killing myself right now. Like, Cause I can't think of one on top of my head, but I just feel like, I don't think that's what makes it a feminist. Film. I, I think that it is a feminist film, but I don't think that's what, I, I don't think having a female killer makes a, film a feminist film by itself like but i but i will say there actually i would agree that there is a underrepresentation of female killers in films like mm-hmm. that like i think i'm probably talking about yeah i'm out of my ass i'm sure there's many but just in my mind in terms of like culturally the ones i think of again are freddie jason michael chucky like i guess there's bribe chucky but again she's a knockoff feminized character of a male character that already exists so mm-hmm. i i could see that being a step forward to a degree but i wouldn't just say because the females i think i more has to happen than that. Like species is one that comes to mind, I guess. But yeah, no, I, I would agree that there's there's not the same representation as there are of male killers. But I think that, that a lot of that is also we think about it in terms of like the phallus and like what typically drives these male killers. It's different things. Like I guess well, you know, you know, Lifetime has the corner market, I guess, on female killers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, but I think it's it's again it's it's there's different reasons for it. But I. I guess the thing that I will say that's feminist about it is that it does kind of take, I think a lot of we talk about um, slasher killers as having sexual frustration to a degree. And I, and again, I think kind of what we talked about and what I kind of picked up on is I, I kind of see that from Jennifer as a character. So I guess that is kind of a nice way of doing it. But again, I think it's, I think it's everything that houses the female killer and that houses the motivation, not purely the fact that she's a female killer. Mm-hmm. So the argument they put forward is they don't consider the fact that she's a female killer to be... I agree with you there. Um, that, that's not the reason why it's a feminist film. It's more so because I feel it focuses more on the female friendship. And it, it is a very female-centric movie, which you know, I really appreciated seeing that side of. But the other reason, too, is I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of Jennifer is definitely a tragic antagonist. You are supposed to feel terrible for her, especially with the murder scene near the end of the movie. Hmm. And then the other thing, too, is she doesn't get her comeuppance. Like, she has a very tragic thing happen to her, and she has a very tragic end to the movie. And, you know, she doesn't win. Hmm. And... Go ahead. Well, I, I feel like that's kind of what needy. That's why we kind of needed that scene at the end of the needy, is it was kind of Jennifer's revenge to a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when she gets revenge on everybody else, and you know, kind of carries Jennifer's legacy, but without the uh, addiction to murder and all the negative parts about being possessed by a demon. But yeah, yeah it's 
I, I, I feel that that's the angle they were going for. They definitely missed the mark on that front because Jennifer is definitely, you know, tragic at that point, and I don't feel like she should be a role model. But honestly, I, I think that is kind of the sign of a good killer, though. Like, I don't like Mike. Like, you know, like, Freddy's fun kind of in the sense that he's, like, sadistic and stuff, but, like, I kind of feel more for Jason. Like, I like Freddy's movies, but I feel more for Jason as a character in the sense that he has kind of a tragic backstory, and you kind of, mm-hmm. like, because, again, like, I think you kind of root for Jennifer at time, like for most of the time, even though again these guys didn't really do anything to her, like um, emo kid Chip and football player didn't really do anything to her, but you still kind of root for her as somebody who was wronged. Like I almost kind of feel like it as like, do you see I spit on, on your grave? Uh, yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I definitely know about it, and I was thinking that too. There's definitely some consistencies or uh, uh, parallels to the plots of this one well i think like i don't i'm surprised i never thought of this before and it's probably super obvious to a lot of people so i feel bad for not knowing it but i feel like to a degree it is like a rape trauma film like you know she she isn't raped you know the way the conventional way but she is you know kidnapped by a bunch of men violated and has some some demon thing possess her body and And like definitely some rapey undertones in that scene and she's she's traumatized from it and she like if you think about it she lashes out at men who you know are the people who did stuff wrong to her like, mm-hmm. if you think about it, she only really lashes out at Needy after Needy tries to stop her. Like, she, you know, she, and that's that's when she goes after her. Because, you know, at that point, like, again, she doesn't, it, it never, she never talks about disliking men, but it, in the end, it was a group of men that she kind of trusted and idolized who violated her completely. And I think that mm-hmm. you kind of see her, like, you know, wanting to be the pretty girl she was before, but this literally messed her up in the point that, like, you know, she feeds. Because she could have, you know, she could constantly feed. If you think about it as a character, she feeds, like, you know, like, once a month-ish, like, or something like that. I think they say, like, they, they, she doesn't feed very often. She feeds, as she said, when she needs to, when she feels sick and down and, like, ugly and terrible. When she feels bad about herself, that's when she lashes mm. out. Um, and you see that, too, when, like, when the, before she kills Chip, when she goes to the, the I thought, like, a really sad scene as she goes to the prom, and you see her kind of there in the mirror looking at herself, and she just starts smearing, like, tons of foundation over her face and you can see kind of the picture next to the mirror that's showing her face as it is now oh there's like a picture of her next to that like a glamour shot of her mm-hmm. she's kind of facing who she was and how she's looking now and i kind of thought that was a really sad scene of her kind of like what she's become and like not liking it and like more or less resolving to go eat chip because of like how terrible she was feeling you know it's like it's almost like it's like a druggie like i, I feel like i feel like it's something she doesn't she doesn't want to kill but she does because like it it's the only way she feels good anymore mm-hmm which, as I talk about it, makes me feel more sad for your character. <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. Um, yeah. All right, so any final thoughts on Jennifer's Buddy? Would you recommend this movie? I would recommend it. I would agree, too. I, I, I have a question for you. I know you and I talked yeah. about this, and you talked about the ending and the death, and I said mm-hmm. there's something that really pissed me off. And you said that you had a problem with it, too. First, what was your problem with it? So, again, there are some points in this movie where... I, I feel the dialogue in the script is just some points just they want to prove that they're so clever and they can come up with real good zingers and they place them constantly throughout the movie. Like, for example, the Jenny's number joke earlier during the murder scene, like that was very that was tonal whiplash in a movie that has a lot of tonal whiplash already. Um, but there's a quote at the very, very end of the movie, too, where 
again, spoilers, um, but Neely finally does stab Jennifer in the heart, and Jennifer goes, my tits, and then she goes, no, your heart. And I have seen discussions online of just like, well, Jennifer immediately jumped to her sexuality, but then no, it's Neely really, really thinking about her heart and their friendship and that sort of thing. I don't know if that was the intention, but I just that line kind oh, of fell flat. For that, me. That's uh, for, for my part. That is actually I, I took it definitely as the the Jennifer taking the sexualization route because like because I don't I didn't think it was like I don't think the way Needy said it was like mean, but more of like a tragic kind of thing. Like no, that's like that's not what mm-hmm. that is. Like that's that's your heart, not your not your tip that, you, that I just stabbed. Um, so I, I I thought that worked. I thought that 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 meaning worked for me, but I I just didn't like. So she uses a box cutter to stab into her rib cage and into her heart, which like, I feel like without really good placement of that blade, that blade's going to snap. <laughs> like that's, that killed me. I didn't understand what was going on, but why she thought using a box cutter to, to stab a demonic person in the chest. Okay. So you had a problem with the logistics and the realism of the same. Okay. I know. And in, 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 in a, in a, in a story about a <laughs> demonic, like, succubus, yeah, that, argument that, my, that was my, that was uh-huh. my argument. Like, I, I you know, I'm a, <laughs> Though, and at one point she even says like this is this is for cutting boxes. <laughs> she, she like defines it to her. So in case in case they're trying to play it off like oh she has a regular knife, she specifically says this is for you cutting bought, boxes. You bought your you bought uh, the quote to something like you brought your uh, you yeah you bought a murder weapon at Home Depot. Yeah, I think she said, and I was like all right that's pretty clever. But uh, how much yeah. can you be or something like that? Which again like it, it's this again this is this comment on sexuality and like the perception of who what needy or who needy is. Um, mm-hmm. Which I thought was like, interesting, and I thought it was weird. Like I thought that that demonic. I slightly remembered them finding the devil's kettle outlet and finding the blade, like that the sword, the stab that was used to stab Jennifer. I mm-hmm. remembered that. So in my mind, when it when that ending happened, I was like, oh, she picks up the the knife that you know they used to kill her. And so when that didn't happen, I was like, what the hell? Where's that? Where's that knife that she used to kill her? And then they found it at the end. I'm like, oh, there it is. But like, she's a fucking box cutter. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, like, what, what the fuck was that? That was that was <laughs> that, like that that like literally like the entire scene. But also it was weird because if you notice when they're struggling, the thing what like do you remember what disarms Jennifer? What makes her kind of fall to the bed? I actually don't. Is they rip off? She rips off the BFF necklace. Oh, yeah, the BFF right. necklace falls to the ground, and I think it's animated because it's this really cool thing where this chain kind of spirals. It's a really nice uh-huh. shot. But anyway, like that's what disarms her which again i think makes sense if we're kind of going with this idea of female friendships and mm-hmm. it's I mean, metaphorical i mean like, it's not very subtle but but the fact that it's what knocks jennifer internet, off yeah. wait is that is that implied maybe that's their connection yeah that's that, that's kind of what i got out of it it was metaphorically neely was just kind of tearing off and saying we're no longer friends the friendship is dead and then maybe some part of megan was just like oh no or jennifer was just like oh no i got that but i'm like wait could it be that because they both wear those BFF necklaces, is that her connection to like the psychic powers that we experience throughout the movie? Ah, and removing it, she possibly. she lofts her her life blood, but like I'm not very precise on that. Yeah, I don't know. Or, or it's like we didn't. I don't think we really saw Jennifer look like watch the BFF necklace fall away, which would have been something. You know, her like realizing what she's lost, what she's become, and then as a result, what's needy kill her. So I guess that part didn't really hit for me. So I guess, I guess that my my issue is that is the criticism is Jennifer's ultimate demise to me is weird but i don't know yeah it was a very weird scene um but yeah but yeah overall i'd recommend jennifer's body i think it's a great time capsule of the era and it definitely it's if nothing else for the perspective it provides to the horror genre i felt um 
was something that's really, really much needed in the genre. So it's a very interesting film. I would recommend checking it out. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Did you watch any any other good horror movies in the in the before we go off? Has you watched anything else lately? Any other good movies? Not at you'd the recommend? moment. Uh, I've been playing through Resident Evil Three, so that's kind of been my horror. Three, horror the remake. Yeah, the remake. Ah, oh, dude, I love that game. It's so good. <laughs> So yeah, going to do that. I've heard a lot of good things about Oculus, though, um, so I'm probably going to go see that sometime this week. Oh, the movie? Yeah, that, 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 the movie is sick. Uh, with uh, What's her name? Jillian? Gillian? Karen Gillian? Karen Gillian? Karen Gillian. Harry, Harry Potter. Or not Harry Potter. Uh, Doctor Who Girl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah Karen yeah, Gillian. Yeah, okay. she, yeah that, was, that was great. And it's, um, who directed that? It's the guy who did Hush. Um, frick. He, he's a really good director. That's, that's actually, that's, yeah, that's an awesome film, actually. Um, I definitely suggest that. And I watched Willy's Wonderland, the, the Nicolas Cage movie, and I'm not gonna lie, I was really excited about it, and I don't think it was as amazing as I thought it would be. Mm. It, it's kind of mm. it's funny in the sense that like it's a no holds barred, just like here's a movie about a guy fighting animatronics. I'm like great, <laughs> like plot development characters, nah. But like it, mm. it does some interesting That's things, sure. but like not amazing. Um, and I was kind of sad about that. But actually, but before we go, I do want to announce something historic that happened. Dan, do you know what historic happened recently? Um, I mean, we're going through a pandemic. Fuck, damn it. Nations are going out. Second impeachment uh, didn't go through. Uh, there was a Nintendo Direct. Splatoon 3 just got announced. Dude, I'm still so angry about Nintendo Direct. <laughs> we, we held off recording this podcast for the Nintendo Direct, and we were both texting back and forth as we watched it, and there was nothing good. But, um, well, Skyward Sword will be kind of fun, I suppose. But recently, um, so a long time ago, and by that I probably mean a half a year ago, probably more than that, probably less, I made an Instagram for this podcast uh, called Primitive Screwheads Talk Horror, all one masked together word. And we recently <laughs> got our first follower. Nice. <laughs> so um, I don't want to say your, uh, I don't want to say your name. Uh, person they know who, who followed, they are. Because that's, you know, uh, I think... I, uh, but you know, I think that's, that's your personal business, but thank you for the follow person, uh, who followed us. We really appreciate that. Um, I, you know, I, I, it makes me feel like I should actually post something on here other than our initial picture. Um, so, you know, if you guys want to follow us on Instagram, I will try to update it more often. <laughs> I should really once. do that too, especially since I'm doing a lot of remote work and that sort of thing. So I have the free time, but yes, thank you for, thank you for being the sparks that is the spark that lights our fire <laughs> follower. We appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so Dan, do we, do we know what we're doing for our next movie? We do not. I was actually going to suggest Oculus, but I think we could do something else too. Mm. I think this was good discussion this week. So yeah, um, I agree. Well, actually, yeah, would you, would you have to keep with this? Like, I don't know if feminist film is the right genre to describe this, but like, I haven't really, this really made me want to watch that movie Final Girls. Ooh, yes. You did talk about that. For some reason, I thought we'd done it before, but I guess not. I've, I love this movie. It's amazing. I haven't watched it in forever, but it has Betty Davis eyes and it's amazing. And we should definitely. I'm game. Let's do it. Hell yeah. Okay. Fuck yes. Great. Awesome. Good stuff. <laughs> All right, sounds good. And I got a question: Would this be a good romantic movie to watch with my horror-hating girlfriend? Like, it's 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 pretty tropey. It's pretty like it's kind of like Scream esque to a degree, but also like meta. If like, people get pulled into a movie, um, and it's also like mother-daughter relationship heavy, and it, like it makes me real sad. So like, it's great. I would watch it. Okay, cool. Like, sounds sad good. in like I a good, happy, it. sad way. Cool, it, cool, it's it's cool, a great movie. Cool, cool, cool. it's amazing. Right, awesome. All right, I guess we're doing Final Girls next. Fuck yeah. Sounds good. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, hey, who's our band? Uh, Teddy's Atlas. Teddy's Atlas. And what was that song? Horror Movie Story. 
horror movie story to get that off the album. Children of the Corn. Hell yeah. They are good, good Canadian boys. And they are constantly posting on Facebook with new music. Give them a shout out. They're great. Also, wait, actually, real quick, end of the thing, not not to not to snub Teddy's Atlas at all uh, in terms okay. of talking about another music, uh, but uh, the other day, uh, Lindsay walked into my room and started playing that um, I Didn't Have Time to Think song, and was like, playing it, and she's like, do you know what the song's from? And I was like, fucking Velocipaster, obviously. <laughs> she's like, how the fuck did you know that? <laughs> and I don't think she understands how often I listen to that song, uh, but... <laughs> You you're you're basically pavloving her every time you're playing that song, just constantly. Constantly, it's, but but yeah, no. Teddy's Atlas, amazing. Sorry, sorry to interrupt the Teddy's Atlas uh, plug because they are awesome. Um, and I, I actually, I think I posted on our Facebook group a little while ago a link to their um, SoundCloud. So you guys should all check them out. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful night. Bye. <laughs>